Well, now I have to actually do a real code open now, yes. don't I? So for context. <laughs> this is take two on this episode. Which is this only second time in our podcasts that we've had to do this, which I consider good. And this is not because we lost the files. Yeah, last time. time. We, no, we didn't lose the files. Um, someone forgot to put it on the right channel and set it to the oh, MacBook that's what it was. microphone. And not it the, sounded like shit. It sounded like we were underwater. So, so. you know. Um, this time we just had bad time management. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I could do the whole episode in 15 minutes. I could not. I don't know if you saw my face, but I was like, all right, I ain't going to question it. I mean, I made it. I made you it, made to it page pretty four far out of five. But Leah and I had another um, recording for another podcast, which Secret Project. Secret Project. But if you go on our Facebook, and it's probably already out now, you'll not Facebook, Twitter. Um, you can see it there, but yeah. So take two, the jokes are going to remain the same. There's still a joke I want to make. Yeah. We actually have time for jokes. I flew through it at such rapid speed that I just didn't feel good about it. So we're starting over. Yes. I also had like extreme allergies when we did the first takes. You can actually understand me now (laughs) and I won't have to blow my nose every five minutes. Uh, is that the intro? I guess so. That sounds pretty good to me. I'm Bethan. And I'm Leah. And this is She Will Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. Please, is bad. We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. All right. Now, in the not speedrun edition, we're talking about the bangles. And because I always like to tell you why I chose this artist... We're talking about the bangles after eating bagels. Bagels. That's that's. I also have iconic. a kitten named Bagel right now. You do have yeah. a kitten named Bagel right now. Um, that is not relevant to any of this. And if you're wondering why we're calling it bagels, it's from a community episode. Yes. Not because I choose to, to call it that. But they were very good bagels. They are very good. Um, I chose the bangles because I recently read Susanna Hoff's debut novel, uh, the, This Bird Has Flown, which is... It's a good book. It's I don't want to say it's the best book I've ever read. As a debut author into like the non or to the fiction world from someone who came from music background, like it was really enjoyable. It was one of the better rom coms I think I've ever read. Um, so yeah, check it out. But it made me go all the reviews on Goodreads were like, I loved the Bangles. Bangles it and I was like, I know nothing about the Bangles. So here we are. The day has come. So to quote the VH one behind the music special in a time where boy bands were all the rage, the Bengals proved that women could carry a guitar as well as they carry a tune. I wish I could write it. That intro. was such a VH1. That's such I a VH1 behind the scenes. Love VH1 behind the music. 2000s line. And nothing can change that. There's always, there's, there's regular occurrences in every one of these issue, uh, episodes. There's always someone wearing very tiny sunglasses. Yes. Spiky hair. Yes. They're like a producer or a manager off of something. And then there's someone who's just like there with no context. Like, yeah, <laughs> like occasionally Elton John will just show up and you're like, what? <laughs> no one. I don't think anyone famous showed up in this one. I but. also just love how they edit them with like the music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like do, 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 do. The Bengals started their career in 1999. Do, 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 do. And then sad part. Do, 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 do. But tragedy struck and we didn't know if they were going to make it. But surprise, they're reuniting. Like do, they- do, 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 do. 
So there you go. That we just we, recapped we, the whole episode yeah, there for you. you. Go. Um, but no, I really do love VH1 behind the music, and I've said many times on the show. The unsung heroes of this show are the people who uploaded these episodes to yes. YouTube. You are the reason. <laughs> you are the reason we run today. Yeah. You were our ceiling. Bengals fan eighty six. Thank you. <laughs> That's not the real channel I watched it on, but it could be. So um, the band got its beginnings in the Peterson family garage. Sisters Vicky and Debbie did not want to date rock stars. They wanted to be rock stars, mm. which was not a thing that girls did in the the early 80s or i guess we're in the late 70s at this point um so their single ambition was to make a band that rocked as hard as boys did and so they just rehearsed in their family garage i don't remember off the top of my head which one plays what instrument but one plays uh guitar and one plays drums no i don't know Ignore it that Just, I said that. We'll go with it. There's a lot of changeover in who plays what. You can watch the VH1 what behind the, at the, behind the music to uh, fill that in for you. Um, so they're they're jamming in their in their little neighborhood garage, but across town they're in LA. Um, in a rich neighborhood, they made a point to specify this. Susanna Hoffs is growing up surrounded by music. Her mom listened to top forty radio, including the Beatles, and she listened to her mom's vinyl records so much that she actually wore them out. Because she would put them on and pretend that she was playing guitar and singing in a band. Aww. Um, and then when John Lennon was killed, she she was in her late teens. And she realized, like, you know, I can't just keep putting off this dream. I need to make something happen. Because you never know what's going to happen. And she'd hate to put it off forever and not be able to realize her dream. And so she answers a classified ad in the paper. <laughs> All great bands. All great bands start with an ad. This is why we have no mega bands in the 2010s, because no one was running classifieds. Come on, guys. What are you just doing? A Facebook post? You can't do that. No. It's, it it's clearly not going to work. So she answers a classified ad for a band looking for a guitarist. And when she calls, Vicki Peterson answers the phone. And they talk for like like two hours. It's like a very, very long phone call. But about 80% of that call was them just talking about John Lennon and how much the Beatles meant to them. And they felt like they had created this bond instantly over the phone, even though they've never met in real life, just over their love of music and their love of the Beatles. So they're like, you know what? This band needs to happen. Mm. So a few weeks later, the sisters come over to Susanna's house and they jam and like things just vibe instantly. They talk about how being in a band is like being married and then that was their first date and they just knew from like moment one that this was meant to happen and they were meant to play together. So the three girls need a bassist because the poor bassist is always the last to join the band. Correct. And they recruit a friend, I assume that, that that's how they know. They just know this girl who plays bass. Her name's Annette Zelinskis, Um and they call themselves the Bangs, which is... I don't really know why they chose that. Like like hair bangs? The bangs. I don't know. It was the 80s, so hair bangs is probably a good... I mean... Guess. Sure. <laughs> um, spoiler, it doesn't stay that way. And they start playing like real sketchy little CD clubs in LA. And Susanna's parents are in this VH1 doc... And I guess that they went to all these things because they're talking about, yeah, one time it was just the two of us and the bartender, but they played a banger show. <laughs> they were very cute and very supportive. 
they the girls all saved up to record a single and get it played on the radio and in the summer of 1981 a dj named rodney biggenheimer great dj name excellent played it on the radio and they kind of started to see i don't want to say a success overnight they started to get like an actual fan base and get gigs that weren't three people and they really started to to climb the ranks here and Rodney Bigenheimer playing on the radio catches the attention of Miles Copeland, who at the time was managing uh, the Go-Go's, but he had also worked with IRS and the police, which when you say that out loud, it sounds like he works for the government. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That, that's a very good point. He worked for the IRS and the police. No, he, he managed the Go-Go's. He was a, a pretty sought after manager at the time. Um, and they met him and he was like, well, I already managed an all-girl band. Like, there's not space for two of them. Which, first off, fuck off. Second off, they're very different bands, yeah. sir. There's space for more than one all-girl band in the charts. This is not the first time, nor the last time we've seen that in these history episodes. So they signed with him in the spring of 1982. He has them record five songs and they are literally like ready to release. They're about to start shipping them off to radio stations to play. And surprise, a letter shows up in the mail that a New Jersey band called The Bangs is suing them because they already had the name. <coughs> so they had to come up with a new band name. It's always New Jersey, man. Everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> it's a Hamilton reference if you don't know. Uh, so they had to come up with a new name like really, really fast because this stuff's ready to go. They they debate over it and they, they loved their name being the Bangs. So they just decided to add L-E-S to the end to pay homage to the Beatles because the Beatles are what brought them together. I mean, it works though. It does work. And the Beatles do very much influence their sound. So it's cute. It's good that like it ended in a consonant, their first one, like with an S because could you imagine it ended with an A and it's like... The Bangales, the Bangales, the Bangales, Bangales. I could have went bad. <laughs> they they changed the name. They released these six songs, and two years after they started the band in the Peterson Garage, they get to set off on their first American tour. But things are not all sunshine and rainbows. They're opening for a ska band called the English Beat. You gotta love it. And as you can imagine, the ska band, the ska crew, crowd, as as you will, um, was not really receptive to an all-female Beatles-inspired band opening for their ska band that they were there to see. So they did not treat them very well. They spit at them. They threw milk cartons at them. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. What are grown <laughs> men doing with milk where do they get them did they bring them into the venue with them is, is the it, venue selling milk it's like you can either have a beer or you can have a milk and, and the ska man says you put me down for a chocolate milk sir in a carton in a carton yes no no glasses here no bottle like i the, i have the specific mention of milk cartons is just very weird to me um some of them threw gum that would get stuck in their hair which that's actually shittier than the milk carton yeah i agree uh, but they did. They said it built character and taught them how to perform in the face of adversity. Good, good silver lining. I don't think I would have reacted that nicely. So when they get back from their tour, it turns out Columbia Records wants to sign them. Hip hop parade. You know, this is what we've been working to, towards. But right before they go to sign the record deal, Annette said, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. 
I'm gonna go be in my boyfriend's band. Okay, bye. Which well, is a really shitty time to leave, Annette. Yes, and also like about building character, and then you just leave. You gave up when it got hard. Yes. Also, why would you leave to go be in a band with boys? Also, Ew. is the is the band even signed? I don't no, think so. I don't think so. So literally, like, here you are getting signed and you're like, you know what? My boyfriend's band, the Meatballs, Meatballs. I'm going to go hang out with them. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that no one mentioned what band she went to join because I'm pretty sure they didn't go very far. Oh, no, that band is still in the garage phase. There's Probably. just no way. The Bengals had to fill Annette's spot when they needed a bassist and they needed a bassist fast. So it turns out that Michael Steele, who was formerly in The Runaways, who is a girl despite being named Michael, was also looking for a band to join. She's slightly older than the rest of the band at this point. She's 27. And she had swore up and down that she was never going to be in another all-girl band after the drama that was The Runaways. Mm -hmm. But surprise, (laughs) she's back. I lived, bitch. She lived, bitch. And so they they add Michael to the band, and before the record label can get cold feet, they sign their deal with Columbia in the fall of 1983. And they felt like they had made it. They were on cloud nine. Things, you know, things were never going to be bad again. Um, Plot twist. They will be. They debut their full-length album called All Over the Place in spring of 1984. And this is... I don't want to say Beatles, but it's very Beatles inspired. They literally have a song called Going Down to Liverpool. These girls grew up in L.A. (laughs) That 100% is Beatles inspired. I don't think they'd even been to Europe yet. But, uh, I mean, do what you do. Uh, Then also, the big single off this was Going Down to Liverpool and Hero Takes a Fall. And they went through like a very weird image change at this point that they weren't really thrilled with because columbia said oh we got to make you marketable to all the 80s girls so they one of the videos i don't know which i think it's for hero takes the fall they put them in like pictured the most obnoxious poofy 80s outfits like Mm -hmm. the dresses with the ruffles and then add about 100 necklaces and 200 bracelets some marketer was like wait your name's the bangles you know we're gonna give you bangles bangles yeah that's exactly the thought process that happened and it kind of just made them uncomfortable because they're like, this is this is not how we want to dress. Like, we're not prom queens. Yeah. Um, so they did have to push back on that a little bit until they found a style that the record and they could, could vibe with. The record did receive good reviews, and it's a video for Liverpool, I believe. It's my next bullet point. Um, the, the video for Liverpool randomly features Leonard Nimoy. Spock. Spock. There was a one of them, I think it was Susanna's parents, knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy, and they were got him in their video somehow. You know that some like random dad is like, you know, my friend knows you know Spock. Nimbuck. He he may if you if you want me to ask him. They're filming it a lot three three doors down. Like I can just run down and ask him real quick. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly what happened. Um, but because they had such a big name person in their in their video it did generate a lot of publicity and a lot of chatter suddenly a bunch of trekkies became Bengals fans <laughs> and because they got this wider audience they got a better opening gig this time they end up opening for cindy lopper on the fun tour excellent choice much better match than the english beat <laughs> the audience shockingly was much nicer this time so that opening slot on the cindy lopper tour 
got them even more attention and more publicity to the point where they actually got the attention of Prince, who gave them Manic Monday mm-hmm. that he had written for Apollonia 6. And, I mean, you know Manic Monday, whether you know it or not. It's one of those songs that yeah. kind of launched into the stratosphere and was super, super big. It became a number two hit in US, UK, and Germany. And it was only number two because the number one spot was held by Kiss. You know, I love that Prince basically outdid himself. Prince was like, I can't hold two number ones myself. I need I need to <laughs> hold two number ones by using another band. Yeah. <laughs> quite quite stoic of him. I, I respect the hustle. But also, like, at the same time, I can't see Prince singing Manic Monday. He does have a, like, scratch track he did of it. And I've heard it. But also, I agree. It, it, it it's is, a Bengal song. It didn't fit his style. Yeah. So it's still a good song. Good call, Prince. I'm giving that one away. So heaven forbid that, you know, two artists be coworkers and creative forces together because the media immediately goes, Susanna and Prince are dating. Of course. How, how what else? How else would she get this song? Like, not that they have talent, not that he respects them. They're dating. They're clearly dating. Of course. You know, how dare a woman have talent? And they weren't. They were just, they, they actually said they had kind of a, a standoff. I mean, Prince was a weird guy. This yeah. is not a secret. They just were like, yeah, we met him once in the studio. We've talked a couple times. Like, they didn't have even like a personal conversation. There yeah. was nothing there. Um, but this this kind of sets in motion what will eventually blow up the band. Because the media has started to single out Susanna above all the rest. And they continue to do this. Rather than treating the four girls as equals, they start referring them to referring to the band as Susanna Hoffs and the Bangles. And they never asked for that. They wanted to be yeah. the Bangles. But, you know, 80s and 90s media. I just turned my mic off by accident. And they also would, they started to change the way they wrote about her. They wrote about her more as a sex object and just something that men wanted to fuck, basically, rather than being an artist, which... What else is new? Yeah. Don't do that. So this starts to create these little riffs in the band because they don't like this. And it's not really Susanna's fault, but it's it's definitely not helping. Anyway. They go on to work on their second album. It's called Different Light. It was released January 1986. And this is a much more polished album than their first one. Um, it does have Walk Like an Egyptian, which is another one of those songs that I feel like everyone knows, whether you learned it or not. And th- they send the band into being fully mainstream. They reach number two again on the Billboard 200. They hold that spot for four weeks. I want to say Prince was still the one that like was blocking them for number one. Um but they were not happy at all about this whole experience. When they made this record, it was like, it was a really shitty experience. Mm-hmm. They worked with producer David Kahn. And like I said, they, they wanted the band to be four equals working together. Right. And David Kahn came in and was like, I'm going to make you guys audition for Versus. What a shitty ass move. So he would make them stand one by one on the recording booth and then sing specific lines over and over and over. And then next girl over and over and over and then decide who earned the verse. That's dumb. Where before they just be like, hey, Michael, you want to sing this part? Yeah, cool. OK, let's go. Mm-hmm. Now it's like you got to you got to earn it. And so it, it gets in your head a little bit and starts like making you fight over 
you know, dumb shit. Like I wanted to sing Walk Like an Egyptian. But mind you, no other male band would have to go through that. No, that's the whole point. Yeah. He wouldn't have made a male band audition for Versus. Um, so Debbie was like, when they went into the studio to record this, Debbie was supposed to sing the Versus. And thanks to David's shitty audition system, she ended up singing nothing on this. She sings on the chorus. And that's it. Mm. And the other girls have realized in hindsight that they were wrong not to call him out on his bullshit. But you got to remember, like, this is the 80s. Yeah. And they weren't going to do that. Be- and they're young. And they're too. young. They're like early 20s. Yeah. Um, And so because of that, Debbie felt like the band didn't support her, creates more cracks in the band. Um, and they just they had a lot of unaired beef with each other. And they say in the VH1 doc that they didn't know how to fight like boy bands. Mm-hmm. They just kept everything bottled up inside and thought, oh, it'll get better. It'll get better. It does not get better. But it does bring a valid point of like boy bands will beat the shit out of each other and be like, yeah, bro, that was a good recording that, session. That's exa- <laughs> that is exactly the gospel truth. Unless you're Axel and um, you know, you flesh. just keep beating up people. <laughs> then you got to wait 20 years, have a heart to heart and then you're good. Um, so in fall of 1988, the band went into the studio again you know, second album's done. They're recording a one-off song for a movie I've never heard of called Less Than Zero. No. It's an 80s movie. And that song's called Hazy Shade of Winter. It also hit number two. And this was such a good experience because they didn't work with David. They just went into the studio, did what they wanted to do. And they say this is a song that was the most successful of the w- way that they wanted to sound when they were performing live. They did things their own way. Just working off of vibes, basically. Yeah. And it confirmed that if they were left in the studio to do their own thing, they were fine. They just didn't do well with interference, which no one's going to thrive under those conditions that oh, yeah. David Kahn was was manufacturing. So they said, we are absolutely not working with him for album three. And choose a new producer. And his name is David, D-A-V-I-T-T. I had to look Are you at sure it's not the other David and he's just like, let me just change some letters? No, it's David. David. And I was like, that's not a real name. I had to go back and like look at his little name card to make sure that, that I heard right. David Sigerson. And they felt so much more comfortable in the studio with him. He took the time to shockingly learn the strengths and weaknesses of each band member and wow. then like use the strengths of some to cover the weaknesses of other and like actually produced an album and not a dictator. And he actually treated them like humans. Yes. Wow. That's impressive. But despite all of his efforts, he could not heal the tensions in the band. Um, they had a second number one hit in early 1989 called eternal flame. But by this point, the band had all stopped talking to each other. They did not get along. They were fighting ignoring each other but they did come together to agree on one thing that they were going to fire their manager miles copeland because while they're over here literally falling apart miles is off in africa with sting what he's not giving them i mean they're his like back burner project yeah they're his girl band but also like your band is in the studio like you got to show some kind of no he's in he's in africa with sting jeez so they get a new manager and they admit in the VH1 special that this is the biggest mistake they've ever made because the new management just wanted Susanna as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. They did not want the whole band. So Debbie eventually confronts Susanna to see if her heart's in the band. And Susanna's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely in the band. And 
Debbie was like, I could see in her eyes that she was lying to me. But while all this is happening, the band is falling apart, but Debbie finds love because she falls in love with their road manager, Steve Botting, and they get married. Aww. And like getting the wedding prep is together is a big distraction for the for a little while for her from the state of the band. Like she and Vicky are, you know, they're planning things. They fly to England for the wedding because they're he's English. Um, but neither Susanna or Michael show up to the wedding. That's sad. Even though they are invited and that they were wanted there, and it was kind of like the perfect place for them all to, you know. Yeah. Not make amends, but hang, you know. Hang out. Hang, put the differences aside. Um, Michael ended, wound up having a nervous breakdown as soon as she got to Europe and just couldn't leave her hotel. Poor thing. Um, and Susanna was just so tired of being on the road and being gone all the time that she just was meant, uh, so exhausted that she couldn't leave the States. She just mm. couldn't make herself get on a plane. And so then naturally, Debbie felt like, those two didn't care about her. Yeah. And the two sisters kind of made the decision of, we got to do something about this. So fast forward to September, 1989, the Bengals, they're drained, they're exhausted, but they're, they end up playing a show together in Santa Clara. And this would be the last time they perform together. Susanna wants to get far away from the source of constant stress and anxiety in her life. And she really wants to try it as a solo artist Michael's done this once before. She's she wants out and far away, mm-hmm. and such that next week, uh, they get the four of them get called into a meeting with their manager, and they all kind of were told that it was they were going to be discussing ticket sales in Australia, and it turns out it was kind of an intervention because Susanna stands up and says, "I can't make another record with this band," mm. and in the in the documentary, Vicky equates it to that meeting to your husband inviting you to dinner and then asking for a divorce yeah. was kind of how it felt like they're making future plans together. And then out of Susanna, out of nowhere, Susanna drops this bomb. Um, and it, it kind of shook all four of them. Debbie and Vicky, despite being sisters, didn't even talk to each other for like four weeks after that. Um, and Debbie thought that maybe she didn't want anything to do with music ever again. And this is just six months after eternal flame had hit number one yeah. in the charts. Like things fell fast. So now these four former best friends aren't talking to each other and they end up going through some like really tough shit alone. In June of 1999, Vicky's fiance Bobby is diagnosed with leukemia and he passes away very quickly, like two years. Um, Oh, that's terrible. And I think at this point she is talking to her sister, but not the other two. Yeah. So after his passing, she ends up moving to New Orleans and joins a band called the Continental Drifters and they kind of get her through this this dark spot um back in la Susanna's focusing on her solo career which is it's going um march 1991 1991 she releases her first album when you're a boy which did not do as well as anyone anticipated like the management label had talked her up they're like you're gonna do great you're meant to be a solo artist Mm -hmm. um the media were like we can't much anticipated solo album from Susanna hoffs it peaked at number 83 on the charts. Ooh. Um, which there's a there's a guy, I, don't, I think he's one of their producers that they talked to in the VH1 thing, and he said, you know, everyone built these big hopes on Susanna, but they really rushed it. Um, she's used to working with a band, and basically the record label hired studio musicians that she had no connection with. Yeah. They plopped in the studio, they played a track, she sang, they left. Like, there was no, there was no chemistry in the album, and I think it really reflected. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it didn't do well. Um, so by the end of that year, which was two years after the split, Susanna felt really lost, really alone, and was really starting to have regrets about how she ended things and how um, the band fell apart. And so she starts thinking about getting them all back together again. And then the three are like, absolutely the fuck not. <coughs> so while all that's happening, you know, Vicky's husband's dying and Susanna's spiraling. Michael is going through the, I personally, I think the worst of it. Um, she moved to the Redwoods in California to, to heal. Cause she's been through two band breakups and the yeah. loss of like eight friendships at this point. Um, and then literally like a month after she moves out there, her father gets diagnosed with cancer in 1993 and she goes into like a very dark place. She basically disassociates for six years. Mm. She's like, I just remember sitting on a couch with a cup of coffee and six years had passed. Oh my God. Um, because she's, she's taking care of her father, taking care of her mother. Her father does eventually pass. And then a year later, her mother also passes. Um, and so once she gets on the other side of all that, she starts to have, thoughts about how like fleeting things are and she said it really put the the quote the rock and roll thing into perspective mm-hmm. um Susanna also had a change of perspective she fell in love and got married um at the end of her her failed solo career she actually meets an aspiring filmmaker named Jay Roach and I'm wondering if any of the fir- film buffs that we know are listening to this and bells are ringing so they got married in 1993 and foreshadowing, he's going to bring the band back together. Mm. By 1998, Susanna had two children. Debbie also had a child. And because now they're moms, they something happened and they were like, let's reach out to each other and like bond over being moms. Yeah. So they very slowly rekindle their friendship and start to talk about bringing the band back. Well, Jay is working on a little movie. It's his sequel to his hit movie, Austin Powers. Okay. He's the Austin Powers guy? He's the Austin Powers guy. Oh, my gosh. So he says, guys, Vicky, Susanna, or Debbie, Debbie, Susanna, you know what would be great? If you guys wrote and recorded a song for this movie. Like, it needs you guys. Good job, Jay. He somehow gets all four of them back into a rehearsal space together and despite the fact that they hadn't rehearsed, played together, or in some cases seen each other in 10 years, yeah. they played perfectly in sync and hung out to the point where they were finishing each other's sentences. Aww. Like, the vibes were vibing. So they wrote and performed the song, or wrote and recorded the song Get the Girl for the Austin Powers 2 soundtrack. <laughs> um, but the important thing about this experience was they bonded and they had fun, which is what they had lost all this time yeah ago so the next step they said you know what that was so fun let's keep making it music so they make an album together their first in a decade and they're determined not to repeat their past mistakes so they make communication key they do this album very slowly very carefully very thought out and end up releasing doll revolution in 2003 um the title track was actually written by elvis costello and was recorded for his 2002 album, When I Was Cruel. I don't know the story of them getting that song. It seems like there's a story there. Because why would you name your album after someone else's song? But yeah. I don't know. 
Um, and this lasts for a little bit. In 2005, Michael ends up leaving the band due to disputes over touring and recording. They replace her with touring bassist Abby Travis for the tour. In spring of 2009, they went back into the studio to work on a new album. They call that Sweetheart of the Sun, and it came out in 2011. And then in 2018, the original bassist, Annette, comes back. What? She's back, bitch. She came back. She's like, guys, the meatballs didn't work out. They did not work out. <laughs> if they hadn't worked out by 2014, <laughs> yeah. they were not going to work out. Um, oh, sorry, 2018. She rejoined 2018. Uh, well, she, oh, sorry. She joined in t- for select shows in 2014 and formally in 2018. Mm. And this was the first time the original Bengals had played together since 1983. Aww. And that is where the story ends because that's where every thing written about them ends was in 2018 when Annette rejoined the band I think they're still vibing they're still they're not officially like on hiatus or anything I didn't know they got back together yeah honestly. so since I don't have a good way to wrap any of that up I'm gonna leave you guys with this YouTube comment from the VH1 special because yes. it, it made me happy it's as it's from a guy named Victor I absolutely adore the Bangles as a band and as individuals I'm a hardcore metalhead, but I love the song September Girls. Michael's vocals are mesmerizing. And Vicky plays a Les Paul? Question mark, question mark. For those who don't know guitar stuff, a Gibson Les Paul is a beast of a guitar. They weigh around 9 to 10 pounds. Basically, you're singing and dancing with a bathroom sink strapped over your shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) So, Victor, I I respect your respect for the Bengals. Thank you for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. Special thanks to Death of Fawn for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shewillrockyou.com. There you can find the social information, show notes, contact us, and merch. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.